And it's that time of the week again. Esports Central Podcast. Number 64. It's here. It's live. It's ready. And guess what? Mr. Glenn is back. I am back. It has been far too long. The hiatus is now over and I'm ready to break shit up again. Yes, I'm sure you came back with the fire again. If you didn't, it, it wouldn't even be you, right? <laughs> what if I came back wiser and more mature and just more responsible with balanced opinions? Like, what if I came back like that? You'd be fired. <laughs> <laughs> That's good to know. Glad to know I'm not allowed to grow. Thanks. Yeah. Good, good There's shit. a reason we hired you and it's for the fire, man. It's for the fire. <laughs> no, it is, it, is, it is good to be back. It's good to be talking about our favorite things again, man. Yeah, yeah. And, and and in this podcast, you know, when, when one member returns, you know, the rest of them drop. Katalili, not in town. <laughs> Prophecy, not in town. Extremes left six months ago and he's still not back. Just how things go on this podcast. Dropping members like no tomorrow. But we do believe they'll come back at some point, right, Lynn? I mean, let's hope one day we'll have that big reunion. We should actually have a special for like our 100th episode where we just have like past and present members like all together at once for like a giant episode. You know, we should do like uh, like a mini game, right? We have like Scarlet versus Nadia in like some game. We have like a Beetle versus Holden. We have like me versus Axe. We could have like some fucking esports central like rivalry game. Like, could I'm be so I'm so in it. Yes, I I love it. And also, obviously, have to do this drunk. We've been saying this for ages now. <laughs> like, we have to. It has to be a drunk episode. We can't we can't ignore it any longer. Glenn, think about it like this. Think about the shit we say sober. Now imagine if we had to do something drunk. I'm okay. I'm okay with it. <laughs> we need to stand. We need to stand by our words. <laughs> all right. All right. You want to start from now, okay? All right. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. So oh, this we'll is the see. Esports Central podcast. We do talk about all things esports. A lot of things not esports, like now in our fuck around time, as I like to call it. But yeah, that's what we do. Local, international, and of course, this is the episode recorded for the 17th of October, 2019. I was supposed to say that in the intro, but I kind of forgot. So you did uh, good. I'm happened. glad to see some things have a changed since I've left. That uh, you still fuck up the intros. I'm glad to see that's still the same. You see, I didn't even say my name in the intro of fear of messing it up. <laughs> I'm kidding. That was an inside joke. You guys, I've never fucked up my name in recording the podcast before. Don't mm, ask me. Yeah, okay, cool. Let's pretend that didn't happen. Sure. Yeah, yeah. So, the first thing we're going to start off with tonight is some PMA news, because of the rest of it probably isn't. Um, Is that Fortnite? Well, they got a black hole, the whole... Map got sucked up, shit got destroyed, and they released something called Chapter 2, the next step in the game, right? There's a couple of changes. Um, I think there's new guns, the map is different. I don't know the nitty-gritty because I don't play that game because I'm not I mean, well. But like, they did have some cool, cool features. One of the cool mechanics is that you can actually pick up four people, which is fucking rad. Like, I think for Battle Royale, like, the most frustrating thing is like when you drop... Like when you're peeking someone maybe and like you drop and then you have to try to crawl to the wall and then you kind of, you know, you don't make it there or your teammates running and then you get, you know what I mean? Like I think that's rad. Like you can imagine like if the storm's coming and you obviously fall because you're too low health, someone can actually run in in the storm. Instead of trying to revive you in the storm and you're going to drop anyways, they pick you up, run you back to safety and they can revive you there. I think that is like probably the coolest mechanic I've seen so far. Like in all of the battle royals, I think that actually is like incredible. I mean, kind of similar to the Apex Legends, you can pick up a buddy once he's died to revive him, but not exactly no, the same thing, no, you but can't it is a pick, cool concept. No, 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 no. When I mean pick up, I mean, like, you can literally carry yeah. the person. I mean, that's like, 
That's amazing. You can carry a person that has fallen. I mean, obviously, Apex has a revival thing where you can pick up their beacon if they die-die. Like, they don't just drop, but they die. But, I mean, this is, this is quite a cool mechanic. It's also faster paced, which is what I like about it. I think it just makes the gameplay a lot faster and the tempo cooler. Yeah, that is for sure. I think, I think the change is good. I think doing such a big change like this after the entire season, you know, I think it's 11, 11 seasons, I just assume, that it's like after a year. I think it's really clever. I think, I think Fortnite, we can't often praise the game for being new and fresh all the time. And then it's always small changes here, this event here, but now then they kind of changed the map completely. I think it's really good optics. I think the stats from Slacer, let me find the tweet, but I mean, the stats were insane with the amount of viewership they had for, for a gaming event. Yeah, I mean, look, and while she plant the stats, I think one of the, one of the interesting things was obviously with this black, um, black hole thing, um, you couldn't uh, play the game. I think like the servers are down for like a day or two or something. I can't remember how long it was. Um, but so like, so Jeff, so Jeff from Critical Hit um, obviously made this point and he was kind of like, imagine if you're a TO, like a tournament organizer and you've got like this dope ass, it felt like Fortnite event happening. And then, uh, oh yeah, by the way, because it's part of our game law, we've just like completely destroyed the servers and now no one can play the game. And it's just like, you're fucked. Uh, and then obviously, you know, sort of Sam jumped in and kind of made the point that like, if you're a TO that actually has Fortnite on your roster, you should understand how the game works and you would have known this coming ahead and you would have obviously you know, planned around it. But it just comes, goes back to that point we always make that like Fortnite isn't really there for esports. It's there, esports is there for marketing Fortnite to the, you know, to the degree that like there is no real competitive integrity really. Yeah, I don't know if I'd say no competitive integrity, but it's definitely fairly low on the power. I mean, you'd have to right? scrape the barrel to find yeah. competitive integrity in how Fortnite is. Come on. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Okay, so I got the numbers. I got the numbers. So the Fortnite, the quote-unquote, the end event will go down as the most watched gaming event in history for Western audiences. 4.5 million plus on YouTube, 1.5 million plus on Twitch, a million plus on Twitter, and then uh, just for the memes, uh, Slacia added in here, 37 people on Mixer, just fucking incredible. No, that is, I mean, look, that is impressive. I mean, you, you, can't, go, you can't take away just how successful they've been um, and what they've done. I mean, yeah, the numbers speak for themselves. I mean, it's obviously blowing up. Um, so, I mean, yeah, you know, props to them. And I think, obviously, with this sort of, the, you know, the black hole and like everything that's come out now with the, you know, the new chapter, I think it just, it just breathes new life into the game. And, I mean, that's what the community wants. And that's sort of the, the, set, the standard that um, Epic has set. And it was constantly upgrading and updating and evolving and changing. So, yeah, I'm excited. I mean, I'm not excited because I don't really play the game. But I think it's going to be cool for people that do play it to kind of, you know, experience a new, a new game. So what I think is pretty cool, and I think, not, not cool, but I think, I think just go back to your point on that it's not really, they don't really take this esports seriously. It's not really an esports. There's no competitive integrity. I think this just popped into my head now. I think the big reason for that is I think a lot of games use their esports as marketing, right? If you think about it from a business yeah, point of yeah. view, esports is marketing. But Fortnite, like, they, they optics and marketing just from the things they do within the game itself and the kind of people who played the likes of the ninjas. Um, I mean, Drake played it with ninja, etc. You have so much eyes on the game anyway. You don't really need to, to really prioritize esports as a form of marketing because you're having the most eyes on your games anyway. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that, that, that's a fair point. That is definitely a so yeah, season two, it's a thing. Maybe we'll have a Fortnite player on next week to really explain us the mechanics and all that shit of the quote-unquote esports part of it. But for now, it's Actually, cool. that is a good point. No, actually, to that point, we should actually bring in someone that actually is, you know, that is very passionate about it and into it. Um, yeah, let's actually, yeah, we'll just think about bringing in someone. I'm ready. For next I'm week's ready. episode.
Oh, for next week's episode. This week, we do have a guest coming on later on. Ladies Ooh, and gentlemen. Yes. It's going to be hype. But that, that's for later. That's for later. I want to just say, on the topic of Fortnite, we have a local announcement as well. And that's uh, Cheat by Africa Gaming. Um, or ACGR, as we call them. They said they're announcing a Fortnite Chapter 2 has begun in celebration. We're happy to announce the hashtag Streamer Royale, uh, powered by SparkFox and Redragon. Uh, or, or Red Dragon. I'm not sure what it's called. You know, Red Dragon. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> the prize pool is 15,000 um, The way it's going to work Okay, I'm, I'm opening up the docs I've read this thing three times already But you know I always get this shit wrong I'm going to try So there's eight separate teams, right? Um, or eight yes. separate streamers uh, Each week there's going to be two of the streamers put it, Puts it against each other And you're going to join uh, that competition On each of the dates You play in the top three from each of the Like for the Grand Heinz Cup, for example Will join his team in the Grand Finals on 30th November So if you place top three in that specific Grand Heinz Cup, Sam Plays Cup uh, Vinks Cup, for example You will be able to play So yeah, as the streamers um, The streamers are Grand Heinz, one of them Sam Plays, one of them Hachi OG, one of them Don's Play, one of them Diana, Lydia, one of them Vinks, one of them Suspect Zero and Clouds So I don't know why I named all of them But hey, shout out to our streamers and in the prize pool, like I said, 15,000. The finals in 30th November. And yeah, it's it's an interesting event, don't you think, Glenn? Look, I think it's cool. Um, it's Again, it just shows how Fortnite just does things differently. Um, and that's kind of in the DNA of how the games run and how its esports section is run. So I think this is a really cool, fun, engaging way to, to, create, to, to create a competition. Um, and I mean, again, as someone that's, again, not really into Fortnite, I mean, I used to play it a ton back in the day and I just stopped playing. Um, this actually, this interests me because of the personalities that are in it, you know. And again, that's what Fortnite, that's what Fortnite does so well. It brings big personalities into the esports scene. Um, and they bring the following with them. So, yeah, I think this is a really rad concept. Um, I'm keen to see how it plays out in terms of actual numbers and statistics. Yeah, so initially when I saw this, right, and it's interesting I'm bringing up this event now after the discussion we had about Fortnite in general being like, not the esports, not the serious thing, not the competitive integrity we see with the CSGOs or the Dota, right? But it has its own flavor. Because when I saw this initially, I was like, okay, this is cool. It's a Fortnite tournament. And I was like, oh no, it's a streamer thing. Is it just some publicity thing? Why are the streamers involved? What are the pro players going to do playing with streamers and stuff? And I was like, Fortnite is actually a bit different. Because I think I had a conversation with Clint from ACGL when I wrote an article, um... For Esports Central or at Fortnite, where I interviewed Kareem, one of the quote-unquote pro players in South Africa. Yeah. He was like, okay, it's great. I like your article and everything. But I think it's time we like stop trying to push the narrative that Fortnite is an esport. Yes, it's competitive. It's this, it's that. But is it really an esport? And I think this is a very creative way to host a tournament. Because I was like, okay, this is actually a good idea. This was like later on in my thought process. I was like, this is actually a good idea. But why didn't they get maybe like the Bravado players or the ATK players to be the main guys? But I was like, at the same time... Like, these guys are entertaining, these streamer guys. These guys mm. know how to market themselves already. So this is actually creates much more brand awareness. So this creative, this creative process, I think, is fucking great for this tournament. Look, and, and I think that's what it comes down to, right? That's what we're saying. It's not really an eSport. I mean, look, I think if you had to speak, and I know I've, speak, I've spoken to Grant before about it, and you know, I've seen his tweets as well. Like, he is passionate about the fact that this is an eSport, and it should be considered a serious contender, right? And especially with the numbers we've been speaking about already. And so I think for a lot of them, they do consider it an eSport. But again, I think to me, it's like it's, they've taken eSport and just sort of changed the model of how they approach it. I think maybe it's about sort of adapting to or, or trying to realize that there's another way to approach esports that maybe not be as like as a not, I don't want to say not as not, not, not as much integrity. I don't want to say it like that, but more that it's just not as hardcore. You know, it's that argument we've always had in gaming between are you a casual gamer or are you a hardcore gamer? And I think maybe Fortnite is starting to have that create that discussion around are you hardcore esports 
or are you casual esports? So to me, esports, I mean, this is a competitive tournament, right? That there is a competition, there's a prize, there's a teams and whatnot. So is it the, you know, the, most, the most pro players or the top play, uh, Fortnite players in the country? I don't know. That you know, is up for debate. But I think for me, what I love about this is this could actually be a model that we could bring across to the other games. I think. I think that idea of like bringing in personalities and streamers and people with a lively personality and a lively following will actually create far more engagement than if you had your hardcore VX gaming sort of CSGO Masters finals or something like that, you know, to that point. Um, and, and obviously not to take away from that, but just saying, I'm so interested to see how this does numbers-wise because this could actually set the precedent for how to do esports in South Africa when we struggled so hard to really justify the, the ROI that brands are, or the amount of money that brands are spending versus the ROI they get out of it. Yeah, for sure. And I think the, also the angle of like having streamers and they're going to stream each of their games and that kind of stuff, it creates a different perspective because in South Africa, we've also had a lot of the conversation of like, okay, you're having this tournament, but you can't even take the time to pay out castles and stuff for your event. But now you have all these people streaming your event, well-known streamers who all have their own specific audiences and shit, which is pretty cool. Like, I think that's a very different way to get it, uh, get, um, approach the the sort of viewership aspect. And I think, again, it's different audience. It's not your standard run-of-your-mill CSGO or Dota fans in South Africa, which is also great. And if you think about Fortnite, what's really nice about hosting Fortnite competitions in South Africa is that a lot of the players stream their games as well. I can see the Kareem Khan's streaming, the yeah. uh, Zach from ATK streaming, those kind of guys. So I, I, I think it's a very creative event. And I think for, for a later topic in the, in the show where I want to continue this conversation about creative ways of hosting tournaments, I think this is, this is definitely one of them for me. Yeah, definitely. That's cool. So that's all the good news out of the fucking... Okay, all right. Let me not say that. There's one more piece of good news left. <laughs> wow, okay. Everyone's going to be like, well, I'm going to turn off the... I'm turning off the podcast now because it's just going to be garbage from here on out. Thanks yeah, for that, Kamyo. It's going to be wild after this last topic. So the last PMA topic is fucking League of Legends World. Okay. okay? I hate LOL more than anybody else. Oh my but God. World is hype as shit. I'll say it again. Wow. Okay, I'm so glad I'm also deal. recording so that I can keep that. I'm going to cut that clip. And any time anyone, you ever say some dumb shit, I'm just going to just throw that clip out at you. Like every time. Just, just a little one-second sound bite. I'm going to throw it in every single time. I hope you know that. <laughs> look, look, say what you want. They released a K-pop song to introduce Worlds last year. They Rickrolled us this year. Okay, I don't know if it, was, it wasn't an official Rickroll, but the Rickroll replica was pretty good. I don't know. I'm a fan. They are, they are pretty good music publishers. No, look, it, it, this, world, this world's been hype. And I mean, there's so many narratives around it, uh, around world. Look, I'm not going to get too carried away because I know Carnival's going to get bored, fall asleep, and then the podcast is going to die. But um, no, this world, this world has been rad. It's been really cool. I think the narratives that have come into it have been really exciting. Uh, Korea obviously had a terrible world last year. Um, and so they came to see what this whole redemption arc is as, as a, as a whole, you know, region. But more than that, Faker came back with SKT stronger than ever. And so Faker has his own redemption arc as well coming in here. Then you have EU who won MSI, which was the last international tournament. Um, and they, they won it all, beat SKT, um, ended up beating TL, who obviously beat, um, IG. So, so EU is coming here with like high hopes, particularly with G2. Um, so there was that hope, there was that narrative now of like, can G2 take it all, right? Can they be the first team ever to do the Grand Slam, right? And the Grand Slam is winning your summer spring split with domestically, winning MSI, and now Worlds being the fourth thing that they can win. Um, and then you have NA, which obviously is always a garbage region, but this year, <laughs> TL, TL changed the game, right? They came, they gave, they were, they were finalists for MSI, beating current world champion holders, IG, in a best of five, which is unheard of before for NA to do that, 
right? Um, and so, and so the, re- the analysis are really, really strong coming into this. Uh, as for how it's panned out, it's been pretty interesting, uh, to say the least. Um, if you're looking at sort of, so I'm just going to go sort of through the group, to the different groups and just sort of talk about those. So in group A, you have G2, who are 2-0 and o right now. They really haven't seen, there's been nothing special about group A. They've kind of done what they needed to do. Um, G2 obviously beating um, Cloud9 and, and, and Griffin. Korean and NA teams. Um, Cloud9 has not really looked that great. Uh, but, I mean, again, they're in a group of G2 and Griffin. So that's, you know, obviously struggle. Um, but then obviously with Griffin, there's a whole backside, a backstory now happening there where there's a, a whole a meltdown happening with an organization where the former head coach has accused the CEO of the organization of um, pushing him out of the organization, backstabbing the players. One of the starting players of Griffin Sword apparently got his way there because he's friends with the CEO. And other players are now getting involved. So they're having quite a shit show at the moment. I don't know how that's going to affect their performance, but yeah, it's not looking too great for them. Uh, you look at Group B, that has Fun Plus Phoenix, so FPP. They are, or actually their abbreviation is FPX. They are the number one seed from China. They were supposed to be unstoppable, but they ended up losing to um, Splice, if I'm not mistaken. J-team. It was J-Team. I don't know how I know this, but it was J-Team. was it J-Team? Yeah. Okay, they, oh, they, yes, 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 yes. Um, yes, it was JT. And that was what was ridiculous because JT was a team that everyone wrote off in the region, in that group. Uh, so they looked a bit, uh, they looked a bit wobbly. Uh, but then they went on to beat um, GAM now uh, in 23 minutes. So, no, are you sure they didn't beat GAM? I feel no, no, like, okay. I'll go, are you I'll sure? Check, I'll check. I, they, I'm, I'm looking now quickly. Sure they lost to JT. Okay, well, yeah, as you can tell, I'm clearly paying attention to these things. So look, so so that was that was Group B. Uh, group C has SKT. I mean, they're three O and three and O. I mean, they're looking unstoppable. Although RNG should have won against them, but they sort of had a they sort of fumbled there against SKT. Fnatic are looking like dog shit at the moment. Um, I don't know what they, what's happening with them, but they're not even playing the meta correctly. I mean, Reckless has put on Morgana today against um, RNG. Which I was just like, why would you even think that's a good idea? Uh, Clutch Gaming, the NA team, look, they're the NA third seed, so they were never expected to do well. They are just being destroyed. It's been brutal by them. Um, yeah, it was, it was, that was actually, it was quite brutal what happened. SKT versus Clutch was just rude. It was rude. Uh, and then we have Group D, which is really the most interesting one because you have three teams tied first, right? Damn one gaming from Korea. Team Liquid and Invictus Gaming, right? Whereas you have HQ own three and really not doing anything, although Team Liquid almost lost to them at an HQ through. Um, but really, this is the group of, this is really the most exciting group with the most, you know, volatile um, outcomes. Uh, I'm obviously a huge double of fans. So I'm really hoping Team Liquid pull the win and come out on top there. But um, the cool thing was Team Liquid beat Damwon Gaming, a Korean team, which people didn't know they could or could not do. So that was really exciting. But then Damwon went on to lose to, sorry, went on to beat Invictus. So it's really anyone's game, anyone's, anyone's group right there. Um, but yeah, World is looking exciting. And, and, and I think, the, so for, I've, I've watched some of the broadcasts, the production has been on point. Um, the narrative has been great. I'm just, the games have been really amazing, to be honest. But I think the real excitement is a setup for the quarterfinals. And just the knockout stages, the kind of games you're going to get there are like, this is probably some of the best teams that I've ever, like, this is the most stacked world in the history of worlds. And that's what everyone's really agreeing on. So it's going to be amazing to see what happens in the knockout stages once you get through uh, group stages. 
I think we're actually kind of like in a golden age of esports, right? Because if we look at TI this year was also said to be one of the most competitive ever, if not the most competitive yeah. ever. The CSGO scene right now, we have like six, seven amazing teams and like two teams are vying for the greatest ever title in the form of Astralis and Team Liquid. We had that EG team coming. I mean, and now the LOL world is like, before you're watching Worlds in like the original years, it's like, okay, Korea is going to come, Korea yeah. is going to fuck yeah. shit up. But now it's like, shit, this, this is looking real competitive. And I think... I think it's really, really great. And of course, like you said, the production at Worlds always going to be on point. And I was actually correct. J-Team was the team that beat okay. Fun Plus Phoenix. Which is ridiculous because that yeah. is embarrassing because they were like a nowhere team. But yeah, actually, that idea, that, that, that whole narrative of, of, of you know, the golden age of esports, like, I absolutely agree. I think whatever channel you're turning on, you're going to get exciting games, like really exciting matches and really great narratives that are being told. And yeah, man, it's exciting. It's amazing. Oh, even the Overwatch League finals had great um, viewership for the finals and there was no fucking shady bot shit this year. And the fucking team that won the San Francisco shocked the run that they made. Glenn, they went in five playoff games, 4-0, 4-0, 4-0, and 4-0 in the finals. Like, how insane is that? I mean, that, yeah, that's, that, that is pretty dominant. So all you whining crybaby fucks on Twitter, appreciate what you got, bitches. We in <laughs> the prime, baby. Oh, there we go. There's the fire I've missed. Uh, but yeah, Fortnite's still not a real eSport. Why, 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 why are we throwing shade? <laughs> no, don't say we. You, you hold on to that by yourself. I have said what? nothing. All right, all right. We've got PMA Glenn up in here. We'll see how long that lasts. Because like I said, we're done with all the good PMA happy stuff on this podcast now we're going to the shit right so last week we touched on the blizzard china hong kong debacle but i think after our episode last week blizzard actually went out and made a response believe it or not ladies and gentlemen and if you thought they no response was bad to the situation their response was considerably fucking worse all right so let's go back to our esports authority slasher and he has the actual whole quote or statement rather from from the blizzard President J. Allen Brack, he releases his statement. He said, we want to ensure that we maintain a safe and inclusive environment for all our players and that all our rules and processes are clear. All of this is in service for another important Blizzard value. Play nice, play fair. Very ironic, actually. In the tournament itself, Blitzing, quote-unquote, asterisk and asterisk, played fair. Now We now believe he should receive his prizing and we understand that for some this is not about the prize and perhaps for others it is disrespectful to even discuss it. That is not our intention. But playing fair also includes appropriate pre- and post-match conduct, especially when a player accepts recognition for winning in a broadcast. When we think about the suspension, six months for Blitzchung is more appropriate, after which time he can compete in the Hearthstone Pro Circuit again if he so chooses. There is a consequence for taking this conversation away from the purpose and disrupting or derailing the broadcast. With regards to the casters, remember their purpose is to keep the event focused on the tournament. That didn't happen here, and we are setting the suspension to six months as well. This is the first part of the statement. Um, then they're like, third, uh, were our actions based on the content and the message? Part of thinking globally, leading responsibly, and every voice matters is recognizing that we have players and fans in almost every country in the world. Our goal is to help players connect in areas of commonality, like, like their passion for our games, and create a sense of shared community. The specific views expressed by Bloodshunk were, quote on, or all caps, not a factor in the decision we made. I want to be clear, our relationship with China had no influence on our decision no! whatsoever. We have these rules to keep the focus on the game and on the tournament to benef- to the benefit of a global audience. And that 
was the only consideration in the actions we took. If this had been the opposing viewpoint delivered in the delusive and deliberate way, we would have felt and acted the same. Ah, I literally, uh, I can't. There's more to this, but the point is, if you guys thought it was fucking bad that Blizzard didn't say anything about the whole situation, well, here's their fucking statement. It makes it a hundred times worse. It's like these fuckers never heard about PR before, or... The PR that they care about, well, is the most important PR that they defending China. What do you think, Glenn? Like, I just think if you took all that time to be quiet, right? You took all that time and you go, all right, we have to put out a statement. And you take all that time figuring it out, trying to word it all. And you have a whole team sat together and figuring everything out. And that is what you thought was the best you could come up with. Fire your whole marketing department and then rehire them again. Like, start from scratch. That is such a garbage statement, right? Like... It's just, it's just so blatantly bullshit. And my big issue with, with when PR statements get put out by gaming companies or esports, like just PR statements put out within the gaming world are often so fucking trash. And I just feel like they just assume that gamers don't care or that they're stupid and they won't realize or they'll move on. And to be honest, sometimes they're right. Like sometimes gamers will just actually move on and we'll forget about it like after a few weeks and it's like it's whatever. But this is so different, and this is what makes me so happy. It's like, this has been a statement on issue that is really not going away. And I think in the past, if it was something else, Blizzard could have gotten away with a shitty statement like that. The same way that Riot put out their crappy statement around their feminism, about the, sorry, the sexual discri- um, discrimination and harassment cases and, and uh, you know, all of the issues they had there. No one talks about that anymore. But they got away with it, with a crappy statement. This Blizzard has not gotten away with, and I'm so happy about it. And I, we need to keep pushing them. Like, this is, ah, oh, just there's so much to say, and I don't even know where to begin, but it's just so garbage. Okay, so well, let's talk about some of the factors on the Blizzard front itself, right? We had the employees staging a walkout similar to the riot situation, the riot situation that Glenn just mentioned now. We've had multiple levels of backlash from the community, people deleting their accounts to Blizzard trying to uh, deactivate the ability to delete your account to multiple Twitter threads, Reddit threads, the whole shebang. The optics from the Western community is fucking horrible for Blizzard. There's no denying that. Yeah, but also from the, and then the backlash they got from media as well. Where media absolutely called out um, Blizz as well, um, and I think there was a it was a, a human rights yeah human rights organizations also attacked Blizzard. I mean they've taken they've faced massive backlash from the West in so many ways. And also just to clarify, they didn't try to deactivate ways to delete your account. They absolutely blocked them. They fully full on blocked the ability to deactivate your Blizzard account, um, which is absolutely scummy behavior. And on top of it, where they say that you know they welcome conversation and discussion, when they put out the initial statement about the bans and and, and all the, the the reaction or the the, the punishments that were going to be dealt out, they dis- disabled the comments, which they've never done before. <laughs> so the thing is, all of Blizzard's actions up to that point have just shown people that just, a company that has realized they're in the wrong, but are just going along, they're biting their, t- their tongue, gritting their teeth and going along with it. And I think it's cool. Here's the thing. We're not saying companies are not here to make profit. That's the other argument people make. Like, oh, why are you getting upset with Blizzard? They're here to come to make profit. They don't care about morality. Sure. But we're allowed to tell you, fuck you for not having any care about your moral and not having a moral compass. And also, fuck you for pretending to have one and then not actually having one, right? And then you'll see now that so we're supposed to have an, an event with, with Nintendo in New York. Now, I think it was in New York. They, just, they, 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 they canceled the launch or the launch event two days, like 48 hours before it was supposed to go live. Blizzard is in full. Yeah, this happened. This literally got announced today. And what's happening on the subreddit of Nintendo? All those threads are being locked. And the mods are going, oh, well, you see, uh, you know, this isn't, this isn't a, a subreddit for politics. It's about games. 
And it's just such a cop-out, right? And the same thing happened with the Blizzard subreddit. They put it all on, they, they put it on private. So you couldn't even read anything, let alone conversate and engage in it. And then they wait a week later, or not a week, it was a few days later. And then the mod goes, oh yeah, uh, well, one of the mods did this thing by himself and then, uh, deleted his account. Someone's like, and we're all like, but how dumb do you think we are? Like, you're telling me a mod went acted out of turn and it took you a few days to set it off, to, to switch it back on. Like, who do people think we are? Like, we are not stupid people. Come on. So I think, I mean, this is one of the first times I've seen the entire, it feels like the entire gaming industry get up in arms, get active, put out the activism. And I think in the, from the Western community side, I think Blizzard is taking a big knock here, right? I honestly think they've, their profit margin probably going to be affected. I don't know. Um, look, I don't extent. know about that. Here's my thing. I mean, we'd have to look at the share price. I don't know if we're actually That's hurting <laughs> Activision Blizzard. As of the 15th, they're up by 0.62%. So no, they are perfectly happy and the thing is, right now. Oh, wait, okay, I'm hold on. I lied to you. I lied to you. It did take a knock. It was at $55 at 1 o'clock. Okay. Yeah, no, look, it was at 50 Yeah, no, they're, they're pretty okay. They're doing All well. Right. And this is where I'm kind of caught, right? Because obviously it's nice to see uh, the gaming industry, esports people, you know, the fucking, all the people who never get political start get politi- starting to get political to have a voice to so- sort of fight for, for good things within, within the world, so to speak. But at the same time, for me, I gotta be a little fucking disappointed as well. Because if you look at it, right, when Blitzchung got banned, his statement was that, listen, I've been in Hearthstone for four years, I've lost four years in my life. It's okay, I don't give a fuck because if it if 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 we lose the Hong Kong battle, we're losing a lifetime, and that's not your lifetime for one person or two person. It's for the entire fucking place, right? Extradition yeah. to China is no fucking joke. This Hong Kong issues have been going on for so long, right? And now I feel like the gaming community's reaction is like, "Oh, a player is getting banned from Hearthstone. This is the most despicable fucking thing I've seen in my whole in in the whole world." It's like, um, right? It's sad what's happening to Blitzchung, but I feel like this cause. Is a lot bigger than that, and the implications for Blizzard as well is a lot bigger. I feel like, come everybody reacting to how bad Blizzard is dealing with this, and Blizzard is caving in and shit is like kind of missing the point with like corporations and China as a whole right now. So I want to take the conversation. Like, I mean, Blizzard have done a fucking horrible job. I think it's very amateurish how they're handling this, and it's just typical gaming fucking industry um, incompetence, right? That's that's what I think. And look, I but mean, I, think- I will say this though, I think. I've had to deal for years since I've ever since I started writing about how politics doesn't belong in gaming. Okay. So, I mean, you have to keep in mind that's the context that a lot of the majority of gamers feel and think about is that politics doesn't belong in gaming. Right. Um, and, and, and so for me, I actually think that I don't think we should be berating games for not looking at the bigger picture. Although I actually think people are seeing the bigger picture, which is why I think people are still talking about it to this day. Yeah. Gamers are saying, yes, there's a bigger discussion, but here's our fight right here. And if we can just do, if we can make any difference, we can make a difference here in gaming where we know best what to do. You can't expect them to go on a political stage and, and, and talk about the political implications around Hong Kong and, and, you know, the social, political, geopolitical impact of it all. I mean, that's a bit, that's too much. That's expecting too much. I think that games is are saying. too much. But then at the same time, should we really be taking people seriously now? It's a big deal. Also, you have to think the Western audience is criticizing China all the time, right? It's a favorite fucking thing to do for Westerners and Americans, probably primarily. But then at the same time, there's so many human rights atrocities getting committed by the USA in the last couple of years. And then it's still still when the capital is all there, that it's never a question coming out. So is it really an ethics issue or is it a 
fuck China issue. Obviously, I don't think what's happening is right at all. Don't no, 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 for sure. No, I hear you. I hear you. But what I'm saying is the level of ignorance coming out through the gaming industry. Again, it's a gaming industry. We shouldn't expect anything. I just think eh, it's like I don't know if this is the people you want to be listening to as authorities on all of this. That's I don't think it's. I don't think they're pretending to be that. I don't think they're pretending to be that either. But again, I feel like from Blitzchan's own statement is like. Yes, I'm losing my Hearthstone spot, but there's bigger issues in the world. And I think that's like the thing, right? I think this, if it's a, if it's a gateway to, instead of just fuck Blizzard, to what can we do to change the state? Like, how can we protest uh, in solidarity Hong Kong? I think it's a, it's a bit of a better way to proceed. Look, I think this is a, I think you just, for me, I will accept whatever we can get. If Which it took, it is, if, if it way. took, a, if it took a Hearthstone player getting banned for people to decide to jump in and get involved, I think that's great. I don't think we need to discuss around and think about like what are the in- in- intentions and you know, you know, is it why we're not talking about the bigger discussion? I mean, if you look at like Reddit for example, and obviously uh, we can say gaming is a massive or gamers are a massive uh, user base on Reddit. The Hong Kong subreddit is constantly trending now constantly training you'll yeah, see it on the R. Again, on the... like this is why i have to bring politics into it because i don't want to get all political and shit on esports podcast but this 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 because it's such a big talking point is that you also have to see really is a massive propaganda like anti-china propaganda machine and i'm not trying to be like a conspiracy theorist or whatever there but like it goes both ways though it's not just one it goes both right. ways I, I a, get that. it I get does that. propaganda on both sides for sure for sure and but that's constantly criticized right on the chinese side there is the propaganda but i think it's also like it's not it's not, it's not a right thing to present that it's like, okay, you have this massive 300,000 upvote post on Reddit. It's like, okay, but you know, the Russia post with a similar thing has only 20,000. Like, why is that discrepancy? You know what I mean? So that's why, again, I bring up the politics because it, it's turning into, from the Western perspective, an anti-China thing. Now, the thing is, why I think complete anti-China, I think, is, is, is a bit of a, a bad take right now is because look at, let's look at a bigger industry, right? The NBA, for example. So with the NBA, we've had a similar situation. One of the, the, the owner of the Houston Rockets said, yo, some free Hong Kong uh, tweet. And the reaction immediately was that the entire NBA broadcast deal, which is worth $1.5 billion, just the TV deal alone, forget all the merchandise, all that kind of stuff, which is all rumored to total up to about $4 billion, was dropped. They, they threatened to drop the, the broadcast deal immediately, which they did for a short period. It just got announced that they, they, they brought it back up today. They dropped the Houston Rockets um, apparel, apparel, I think is the right word, from the Nike store, all that kind of stuff. And then the thing is, the NBA is, I think, one of the most woke sport leagues, if not the most woke sport leagues in terms of being political and that kind of stuff in future. I mean, in life in general. So they, they, I think they are. That's bullshit. That is absolute bullshit statement. No, they're not. But the point is, they, they had to, they had to respond. So, Obviously, Adam Silver made his, and I spoke about this last week, he's like, oh, no, we will never stifle this, we never do this, whatever. But all the guys are now fucking tight-lipped, right? Nobody can say anything. Houston Rockets guy to delete his tweet, and even after apologizing all of that, they're still making a fucking point to make sure Houston Rockets games are not televised and the merchandise can't be sold in China, right? So the point is, is that right now you're in a, in a catch where China is making the power play. They're like, if you're not with us, you're going to pay the fucking price, Right? And it's very easy to criticize the human rights, the ethics, the this, the that from a personal position. Even me, if I think if I, let's say, for example, I had to criticize China and it would lose me a job to work at a major to cast, to host a, a, a podcast sponsored by fucking Tencent or something. I don't really give a fuck, right? To be honest, like, it doesn't really affect my life that much. I'm sure the, the money, the prestige could be nice, but I'd rather take a stand and say, no, I don't want to fucking do that, right? Then I'll be honest with you. 
But if I was fucking sitting in a boardroom for the NBA or Blizzard, I don't know if I could say it's the same thing. You have a $4 billion deal going on right now, right? Companies have never acted morally in the fucking history of capitalism. So why no one's expecting no one's expecting to act morally. We're just allowed to be upset if they don't. That's it. No, hundred percent. But that's 100%. all it is. So that's all it is. It's not saying that the blizzard can't isn't. Is, we expect the blizzard to act morally. We're just saying you won't. That's fine. But we're going to be mad. And I think. But I think we need to bring it back to esports. And my thing is, <coughs> to the point you're saying, right? That oh, people are only doing it because of Carson or because of just gaming. No, I, I think that's that's okay because i think when you go back to that that you know that really famous quote that everyone always talks about when people talk about the holocaust they say first they came for the socialists and i didn't speak out then they came for trade unions then they came for the jews etc that's what gaming is going gamers are going well now they've come for gaming and now we're upset because it's here and they've come with gaming and they've affected esports and i think that's great and to me that's it at the end of the day i mean i think if they just if they're fighting for it because they want to just protect gaming or esports i'm fine with that because they're still fighting for the right thing and to me that's okay Sure, I think it should need to have a bigger discussion around bigger issues. Sure. But I think right now, gamers are fighting for games. And I'm okay with that. Let politicians fight for politics. Let gamers fight for games. All right. I get that. That's a balanced take. All I'm going to say is, though, I put out the warning last week myself and Prophecy. Don't be surprised to see this happen again. This is not a one-off instance. This is, this is yeah. the fucking reality right now. Yeah. So, yes, I think... I agree, completely agree with what Glenn says. I think it's a net positive thing because even if people weren't aware of the Hong Kong issue, that kind of stuff, even myself, I knew it was going on and stuff, but I never really paid attention. But now after the, all the stuff blowing up, the NBA, the Blizzard, the this, now I'm paying a lot more attention to it. So I guess in a way, it is expanding eyes on, on a very real issue in the world. So Also, a final thing, fuck sure. LeBron. Just going to put that you know out what? there. Because the podcast will get completely derailed if you keep this topic <laughs> on me, I will not go back to your fucking fuck LeBron statement and I'll leave it at B. But that's it with us, with just me and Glenn. But the conversation isn't over just yet because we have our guest coming on. Daniel Offen will be with, on, with us in a second. Of course, got to do that editing magic first and bam. Okay, sweet. We headed into that interview part of the podcast and now we're joined by Mr. Dan Offen. Daniel Offen, the host of the Position Sick podcast. I believe the creator as well. Who is now backed and promoted by Join Dota? How are you doing tonight, mate? Good, thanks. Yeah, good. It's been a uh, quite a busy week, but I'm doing all right. Come I noticed you threw in mate there. I'm mean, a nice, very colloquial, like very cool. Very. I like how you're really engaging with our guests and making them feel comfortable. Very nice, Carmel. Great. I yeah. Gonna, <laughs> I, I would have run away if you not. <laughs> with, with, with the English accent, but I, my English accent is too bad, so I couldn't do it. Sorry, Dan. <laughs> don't worry about it I'll, I'll survive <laughs> alright so Dan is a really cool guest for all of you who don't know him he hosts the Position 6, pod- Position Six podcast as I uh, said earlier and he's he's interviewed some of the, the biggest names in the Dota 2 world he's interviewed Loader Coach of Alliance he's interviewed Sir Action Slacks interviewed Retired Caster LD I mean if you're looking for Dota 2 content in terms of interview form I think Dan's the man to go to right now Thanks. That's nice to hear. I've, I've interviewed quite a few. Seb and No Tail would be the two biggest guests that I've yes. had. Uh, I had Seb quite recently after he won the international, which was amazing. Um, it's been going for about a year. It's been a pretty whirlwind year, actually. Yeah. So obviously, I have a couple of questions here on my list. I was going to ask you another question about the, um, like, what is actually the biggest lesson you've learned in the year? It was for the end of the podcast, but now that you've brought it up, like. So since you started, right, you started about a year ago, you were just a guy, I remember you posting your first uh, podcast on Reddit, and I was like, oh, there's a new guy getting involved in the, in the Dota 2 scene. So what is your motivation to start, Dan? 
So I was a comedian, a stand-up comedian for about three and a half years um, in the London scene and across the UK. Um, I kind of, I for a lot of my life, I, I've always wanted to be in broadcasting and comedy and kind of performative spaces. I loved doing stand-up for the time that I did, but when I kind of got to the end of it, I just started hating the travelling and the crowds and doing the same 10 minutes every night. So I quit um, and found a real job. <laughs> but as soon as I kind of got into my real job, I was like, I, I really miss doing stuff and I really miss producing things and I really miss making content and ideas that people engage with. So, and esports has always been something that I've loved. I used to watch a lot of StarCraft and then I moved over to Dota when I started playing Dota. Um, and so I, I just thought it's a space that people like me haven't really got involved in yet in that there's a lot of really, really great broadcasters in esports, but there's not necessarily people who have a big background in broadcasting or performance outside of esports. And I thought there'd be quite a good niche for me to fit in there. Um, and I've been proved mostly right. It's been a harder road than I thought it was going to be, I think. I think I was a bit arrogant coming into it, but it's been good fun and I'm definitely enjoying still doing it. See, now I get, I understand why you got it, why you managed to survive in Dota 2 or the Dota community is because you did stand up. So you have thick skin. See, now <laughs> it makes sense to me and understand why you're doing so well. Uh, everyone's been really nice to me, actually. I haven't needed thick skin. I think the thing is when you produce a podcast like mine, um, people who listen to it are choosing to listen to it. I think if you're a caster or you're involved in a broadcast, people watch you and they're forced to watch you if they want to watch the broadcast so for me it's quite yeah. easy to have a lot of goodwill behind me because i'm kind of producing something for free that people just like and if they don't want to listen to me they don't have to send me abuse they just don't listen to my podcast <laughs> um which yeah you know uh, it, people have been really really supportive actually it's been it's been a nice road then dan is so good that he even had positive reddit threads going about him man On the <laughs> oh, that's, okay that blows my mind that's incredible Kami, we're doing something wrong, clearly. Yes, no, for sure. So we also, Dan, on this podcast, we're known for like spicy takes and stuff. We, we're from a South African background, of course. People, there's, there's, there's mixed feelings about us. Let's just say that. <laughs> Fair enough. It's, yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't really have any opinions. I just interview people. So yeah. if I started giving my opinion, I think I'd probably have some, some more haters than I currently do. For sure. So now I think... The fact that you mentioned you come from the broadcasting background or from the comedy background, I, I heard you say in your podcast as well, you got from the comedy background there, but I think the thinking of coming in with the, the broadcast experience itself, I think is a great, great thinking to come with because it is kind of a skill that esports seems like, but like you said, it can be a bit more difficult, right? So what was, what are you thinking initially? And then what happened afterwards? How did you think it was going to go as to how things have panned out since you started the podcast? I, I think I thought that the guests that I was bringing on would attract a larger audience quicker. Um, that was the kind of the learning curve that I still had to make a space for myself in the scene. I think I felt if I got big guests on the podcast and I did a well-produced podcast, it would naturally grow very big very quickly, um, which it's done to a degree. It took me a while to pass a thousand average listeners and it's taken me a while to hit the point I am now. Um, but it was a harder road than I thought it was going to be. I thought I was going to be hitting it quite big, quite quickly, simply because I knew I could attract good guests. Um, and there's definitely been, I knew it was going to be a struggle to get guests on every single week, which I've mostly managed to do. But I think just attracting the audience and attracting the attention from this scene has been the more difficult part that I wasn't necessarily expecting to be quite as hard as it was. 
All right, that's pretty interesting because I, I always, or well, on this podcast in general, you can again can confirm this that we often sort of bag on esports for the sort of like immaturity, lack of professionalism, and stuff in the esports scene globally. But I think one of the great things in esports for me, and I think you, a perfect example of this, is that if you are a guy with an idea and and you're willing to put the time and the work in, you can make things happen. You can have the likes of two-time TI winners, the Sebs, the No Tails, to jump on the podcast and stuff, right? You have. Even though it's not easy, and I know it's like quite difficult dealing with players and stuff, at least if you put in the time and the work, people are willing in the esports scene, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, players are very, very busy, um, which can means it be quite difficult to get them on the show. But generally, I mean, PPD took a chance on me as someone with literally no history to be my first guest, and that was pretty amazing. Um, people like Seb and No Tail, obviously, I had a, a quite a big track record by the time I'd gotten them on, so it wasn't so difficult. But definitely a lot of people took a chance on me when they didn't really know who I was and that I had no track record or proof that this was something I could do well. So that was amazing. I don't think that would have necessarily happened in many other scenes. And Um, I think think that's what I wanted to ask. Oh, sorry. No, carry on. Carry on. No, no, go ahead. I was actually just going to talk about that. I mean, obviously, when you're trying to do something like a podcast like that, where where obviously your idea is bring a big name and then the audience will sort of follow that. I mean, you said people took a chance on you, but so how do you, you know, what did you do or what tips could you give for people that were trying to get engaged with big names and for big players? Was it just, you know, just sending out a a mass invite and hoping some of them would land? Was it, you know, really thinking about like approaching players in a very specific way or in a way that kind of showed you had some real thought behind what you were trying to do? How do you sort of gain the trust or get that opportunity for them to take a chance on you? I think the first thing I'd say is you have to know who you're approaching and why. Uh, so the first two people I messaged were Seb and PPD. And I got positive responses from both of them. But that wasn't a big surprise because I knew that they were both players who were very up for doing media. Quite a lot of players aren't up for doing media. So someone like RTZ or Samail, you don't really see them do a lot of interviews and you don't see them do a lot of things. But PPD, you see him on interviews all the time. You see him doing content all the time. He did his own podcast. So I knew that if I was good enough and put myself across well to him, I'd stand a chance of having him on the show. Whereas if I'd straight up approach Samail, there'd be no way, even if I was David Attenborough or whatever, <laughs> I don't know why I'm using him as the best example yeah. of a Dota 2 podcast. But even <laughs> if I was a huge name, he wouldn't be interested in coming on. Yeah. Um, whereas with PPD, I at least had a shot. Um, the second thing I'd say is you've got to be really well thought out about how you present yourself. Uh, and that is more of a learned skill than you'd realize. I mean, I so I did comedy for three years and a big part of comedy is applying for gigs and trying to make yourself look good for promoters. So learning how to present myself has been something that I've learned over a long time. Um, I have a track record I can talk back on. So in the initially when I sent to PPD, there was a lot of talk about my radio credits and the stuff I'd done before just to make myself not seem like a no-hoper. Um, yeah, so I, yeah. I guess... For them, it's just to get big people on initially, it's just making yourself seem professional and knowing who to promote uh, approach. And then when you have a little bit of a track record, there's more opportunity to get people on who you wouldn't necessarily expect to come on things simply because they know you're safe and they know you do good work and so on. Yeah, I think I don't want to sound a bit like, like like a fanboy here, but I think your your, your carbonate experience or your broadcasting experience in, in general really comes through in your podcast because I feel like you get a lot of 
shows and i think i suffer from this as a as a podcast host myself is that where if i have a guest on it feels like i'm instead of like an interview i'm more like a sort of talk show host i'm bringing my own personality talking about the things uh my own opinions on things as well but i think with you it feels like you're really getting a good sense of the person you're interviewing and when they aren't you'll have a question you prepare they answer it and obviously you do a good job of editing it but it's still the way you follow up you aren't you you ask good questions to follow up on what the people are saying which i think is really impressive thanks man that's nice to hear um yeah i think i think i kind of realized pretty early on um and probably from the first episode that as i was coming into the scene as a nobody no one really cared about me or my opinions <laughs> so if i was going to make a show like this then i would have to make it about the guests entirely. I think a lot of the stuff that I was listening to when I was looking for inspiration for the podcast was stuff a little bit like you mentioned where it was quite a balanced conversation. And I remember watching, I think it was Hot Cox. And I, I like Dakota a lot and I like um, Hot Bit a lot. But when they had, yes. um, I think that I watched their interview in preparation for PPD. And there were long sections of that interview where they talk amongst each other and PPG kind of just watches on a big screen like some sort of weird god. Uh, <laughs> it was, yeah. And I kind of remember watching that being like, why, if I don't care about who Hotcocks are, uh, then I there's no way I'm going to engage with this as a podcast or an interview because I don't care about their opinions. I care about the interview subject. So I, I, I was very clear that, I, and I think almost all of the interview content, especially podcasts that existed out there was like that that it was a balanced conversation rather than being a one-sided conversation which is what i felt the scene was lacking um if i was starting another podcast now that i'm a little bit more of a known quantity although i, I still think i'm nowhere near known in the mainstream uh, i i would be more comfortable putting a little bit more of myself in the podcast simply because i have a small fan base and people who know that i'm good and that i can do good work so they'd be more interested in hearing a podcast where I'm one of the attractions, but definitely yeah. starting position six, the point was that I am not an attraction. I'm just someone who can bring out the attractions very well. Yeah, that's a very really good read on the situation because I think you've interviewed a lot of tier two casters, the Moxies, the Lizards, and I think maybe they're 1.5 now at this stage because um, I really like them. But uh, And I think that's a lot of, I mean, like a lesson you could learn from them as well. It's like rapport is so important. It doesn't matter... I think Capitalist, when he started, actually, I listened to your podcast with him not too long ago. He was like, it didn't matter really what I was saying. It's just, I was this new guy casting and they didn't fucking like me and they're going to shit on me all the time. And he's like, I don't know if I really got so much better or these fuckers just got used to me, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think, yeah, definitely. With those guys, it's nice. A talent is easier to interview simply because either they're going to talk for as long as they want or you can have it a little bit more conversational. Um, which yeah. is fun. Like the Slacks one I did, that was very conversational. I was involved in that quite a lot, but that's just him. Whereas you have to kind of read the room a little bit, I think, with an interview. Yeah, for sure. So the Slacks one, for me, was actually my personal favorite because I'm massive fucking action Slacks fanboy. And he was just like so cool. I was like, at some point he started interviewing you and I was like, Slacks is the fucking man. Slacks <laughs> is the best, you know? Yeah, that was nice. That was fun. And the, 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 I don't know if you listened to the bonus one we did as well. That was quite fun. Um, I didn't. I will go check it out, though. That was a joke one. We released it before the uh, proper interview, but it was him, and a lot of people thought it was real. Uh, it was him giving very bad responses to all my questions. It was good fun. Um, yeah. a, a surprising number of people think I wasn't in the joke, and he just got me up at three in the morning and 
<laughs> make me do a horrible interview. But <laughs> no, we we did it together. Um, no, he was great. Um, he was really nice. He's a fan of the show as well, which is nice. Because um, I have a lot of people on who I always ask people if they've listened to the show before I start talking to them. And usually they say no, uh, which is fine. People don't really listen to each other's content in the scene, which I think is fair enough. Um, uh, and... But he's one of the people who does listen, and that's really nice. It's nice when you're getting industry attention. Yeah, for sure. And I think you've you've done a good job of highlighting the difference between like the interviewing the casters and the players. And I know, like you said, talent um, are very eager to do this sort of thing. I mean, it's kind of their job. They, they like to talk on camera that, or, or on a microphone. But I want to know from you personally, who's actually been the favorite guy, your your, your favorite person to interview so far? Uh, there's been a lot I, I've not there's been no one I've not enjoyed interviewing um to get that but there's been a couple of people who have been tough are usually non non native english speakers can be quite difficult not that I think they're bad people or they I've not liked them as people it's just been quite difficult to navigate the language gap um but in terms of people I've really enjoyed I think Keen was very very good uh I think that's probably the best interview I've ever done the Heen one Simply because there was a huge amount of insight in it, but also it was quite emotive because it was just after he'd left Team Liquid. Um, he was really doubting himself and didn't really believe in his abilities anymore while still having a huge amount to say, which was interesting. I think I think that's a really good interview. Obviously, the Seb one quite recently was really good. Um, that was amazing. I think in terms of ones that I've personally enjoyed doing the most, I really enjoyed doing T Governor. Um, he was pretty much unknown by the first time I'd had him on which meant it was quite a fun interview for me because it was quite balanced in terms of we could chat a bit and we knew each other from well didn't know each other but we'd both been in the UK Dota scene back in its infancy so that was quite fun all right that's but, cool the personal interviews can always be fun sorry what are you going to say there no 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 nothing else oh all right no stress but yeah I think that's it's quite an interesting insight you put there and I think the the Heen one I didn't listen to it myself and I think I'm going to now but I think I think Scant made a good point about it. I don't know if he was referring to your podcast or just his tweet that he made where it's like, even though Heen has been literally at the top of the field, he's he's a TI winning coach, it's he still also has that, that sort of imposter syndrome. He's like, Am I good enough? Was it just a team that was good? Am I good enough to do it with another team? You know, that that thinking still goes on. And I think I think Scant hinted at it, but it's like imposter syndrome is quite a big thing in the esports industry. Especially for coaches. I think it's less true for players simply because a lot of players are quite arrogant and rightly so because they're the best players in the world and their abilities are more demonstrated. So if you're, say, Kezu, for example, who's a player who's been in between the tier one and the tier two scene or even the tier three scene, he can know he's good because he's good in pubs and he can prove when he's good in games and tournaments and when he's not good, it's demonstrated and shown. Whereas a coach being good or not good is kind of more ephemeral in that a team can do really, really well and you can go, well, maybe the players are really just good and I had no impact in that and I had no nothing that I added. Um, and sometimes they can add something and not even know that they've added it. So I always really enjoy interviewing coaches because I think they've got a lot to say, but also there's a kind of a lot of personal vulnerability there, which I think is definitely true of Heen. Um, and all, to be honest, all of the coaches I've interviewed, they're interesting people. And I think, like, based on that, like, I mean, like, that point you make now about that vulnerability, and I think, like, I love watching 
um, how people interview sort of celebrities in general. Um, I mean, one of my favorite ones is um, uh, The Hot Ones with, with Sean Evans. And, and the reason why I love that specific um, interview setup so well, or so much, is because he really knows how to sort of un- like unlock or break open his guests so that they become really natural, they you know, lower their guard, and it becomes really open, and you actually get really real nuggets that you wouldn't really get in a more formal setup interview. Um, but he goes into lengths about sort of how he does that and the process he takes in terms of his research prior to that and how he actually asks the questions and the different techniques he's picked up either through experience or through watching other interviews. Do you have those sort of techniques that you've actually picked up along the way, either through sort of maybe how you've learned to read the crowd and in the, you know, the comedy background or the broadcasting background, that you learn how to sort of those, get those techniques to really unlock your guests so it feels more open and less guarded? Yeah, a little bit. I try to not... I feel like my questions are too direct. I like to have quite soft ends to my questions. I often, yeah, because you can ask questions one of two ways. You can go, what do you think about this? Or what I often do is go, what do you think about this? Do you think it's A or do you think it's B? And you'll hear me if you listen to my podcast. And now I've said that you'll hear me do it constantly. <laughs> I leave the ends of a question pretty open and I kind of give them all the options they could have. So they, rather than arrogantly declaring their opinion, they're just agreeing or disagreeing of what I've given them to work with. I think that works quite well for me. Um, I don't tend to push too hard. I let people talk quite a lot. Um, I don't ever interrupt them or cut them off when I think they're getting somewhere. I think that's important. It's hard to do over Discord, if I'm honest. I think most of the really great interviewers won't work remotely. They'll work face-to-face. And I did a load of interviews face-to-face at ESO One Birmingham, which are good interviews, but no one will ever listen to them because the sound quality was too bad. Um, But those Uh, were easier. Technology is the worst. Yeah, I mean, I, I basically I, I turned up to ESL with <laughs> a Blue Yeti microphone and a phone and tried to work with that. And a lot of them are good interviews, but they're not really listenable. Um, yeah. But th- those were those were easier to do simply because I could read people's pushing points and what they wanted out of an interview easier. I kind of on my Discord, a lot of people ask me, I'd like you to ask more personal questions and kind of more in depth about their lives. But I just don't really feel comfortable doing it um, over Discord because you don't want to make someone uncomfortable. And you can't read that body language if all you've got is a voice. Um, so I, I think if I could, if I was interviewing people face to face, there'd be more techniques to rely on and people to open up. But generally, it's just that kind of sense of open questions and not pushing too hard and allowing people the space that they need to talk about their stuff. Yeah, I think you make such a good point about the difference between that that sort of real life. Um, interactions face to face as opposed to the Discord interviews. I think one of my favorite, or if not my most favorite interview ever in the Dota 2 scene was, I think it was Hotbird interviewing um, James Toogood Harding. And it was a two part interview, I think, in one of the MLGs like fucking million years ago. And they were sitting right next to each other on the couch. They were like two mates, arms around each other and shit. And it was one of the few interviews. And back in the day, Hotbird used to love to ask the spicy questions about the girlfriends, about this. And everybody always fucking dodged it. But James, being James, was like, I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to talk about how I dated Zoe, where it went wrong, where I fucked up, my opinions about this. And it was like, I watched that interview maybe like three times because the content was just so fucking good in it, you know? Mm. Yeah, and for Hotbit as well, Hotbit's a centre part of the scene and everyone knows him, so they're more comfortable opening up to him. Um, I think as I become more ensconced in the scene and people know me more, people will be more up for opening up to me. Um, I think one of the best interviews in Dota is is Casey. I think she's very good at what she does. 
um I, she was a big inspiration in me starting because she was she was someone who came from the scene as a complete outsider, whereas Hotbid kind of came into the scene as an insider, but she yeah. came as an outsider and had to ask people quite in-depth, deep questions and managed to do it really well. Uh, so I took a lot of inspiration from her in particular. That is interesting. That is very interesting because I think, I think we also have that very clicky mentality in esports, right? Where, like you say, Hotspit came from the liquid, I think he came from the liquid, liquid background and he mm -hmm. was working so many events and he was there interacting with the players all the time. Even till now, he has such a strong rapport with, with the scene in general. But coming from the outsider, it's, it is a very different, a different situation. Yeah, definitely. You have to, there's, because there's always a sense when you interview someone for the first time who you've never met that they don't quite know what you're about. And there's a, such of awkwardness there. So it's it's hard to navigate. And I think Casey did that very well when she entered the scene. I think her first TI is a little awkward. She did a very good job at it, but it's a little awkward. But that's to be expected. I think she did a really great job. Um, and I definitely kind of, I wanted to fill the space that was missing by the fact that she only ever did TI. Um, so she's a big, big figure for me, I think. All right. That's fair. So now you did mention earlier that in your podcast, obviously it's your own podcast, you're the interviewer, you try to stay away from opinions, but now you've been asked to come as a guest on this podcast. I do want to tap <laughs> into your brain a little bit because you've been interviewed some big names in the scene and obviously more of the broadcasters, the slacks, etc. they give a lot of strong opinions about how they think the scene should be, changes to the DPC, that kind of thing. So I want to ask you, start off these questions. What is, what if you could make one change to the current DPC or the Dota scene in general, what would you like to see? In terms of like, it could even be like, uh, players being more have, have, having to do interviews more or any change really you know where you forced where you can force something to happen in the scene um i think the way the dpcs is working the season for players is good um we'll see how it plays out i did a whole series the eso one interviews were all about dpc and how it could be improved for players and i think the changes they've made there are good in terms of qualifiers being moved in terms of me i think the broadcasting at the moment because I'm trying to get start getting booked for events and doing more broadcasting and being more involved in the scene. I think for me, what I would like is for t uh, tournament organizers to not be afraid to take a couple of chances. Obviously I would say that being a chance they would take, but <laughs> I think it would be nice for them to feel that they can have wider broadcast teams and not have this kind of, narrow template of having six casters one host and and that casters who are also doing the analysis and everyone kind of doing multiple jobs and they have an interviewer who is maybe the host or a content creator or a caster who's not really built for interviewing and doesn't really want to do it i think if you looked at renessa at epicenter last year she did an incredible job and that tournament was one of the most watched and most loved tournaments of the year and i think if more organizers took the lesson from that and hired people like Ranessa or, or myself to do proper interviewing for players that gets proper in-depth stuff. They would see the rewards from it um, pretty quickly in terms of engagement in their broadcast. So I think that'd be nice. Um, and miners can do that. I think what the summit are going to be doing at their minor will be really great uh, in terms of having a slightly more relaxed space. And I'd just like to see more organizers take slightly more, not risks, but, experiment a little bit more of the formula of how a dota broadcast is done because i think we've settled a little bit too much into a groove which is good i think broadcasts are generally good at the moment but they're not as good as they could be and i think we just need to allow more space for experimentation on people to try new people and format ideas 
So I completely agree with what you're saying. I think I have a similar thought. So I also come from a, a casting background. Not like, I'm not a big tier cast or anything, but I've casted a couple of South African Dota. I mean, I was like the uh, big cast. Well, not a big cast. I used to cast South African Dota for, for about two years, like full time, <laughs> like I was dedicated to it. And and I, I have a big issue. So I'm, I don't have credentials. The point I'm trying to make is I don't have credentials here, but I do have a big issue with in terms of the way the Dota broadcast is run because I think I don't have anything against the gods. I don't have anything against the capitals. I don't have anything against any of the talent. I think all our talent are quite brilliant. But I do think, it's like you said, it's become formulaic. And I don't think, like, listening, and I see this the most in panels where it's like the same two panelists for, like, fucking six events in a row, the same guys who are casting. It's like, We've heard these guys' opinions week after week all the time. Are these really the most interesting people you can have to be giving opinions? And I think you, they, they're great broadcasters, of course. You look at a guy like God. But like, if I think about my favorite um, Dota event in terms of broadcasting, TI7 was that for me for sure because I had these guys like the Sumails, the Eternal Envies, all these interesting characters coming up on the panel and giving their opinions about the game. And I think, obviously, from an event's point of view, I kind of understand that you need guys like experienced guys like capitalists like like um like cap like nahas who can fill the time if there's shit going wrong at events you need oaks to fill you need oaks to keep on pushing through the content but if i if i want to hear a dota opinion if eternal envy is talking about it or if ppd is talking about it it's it's so much more interesting to me as a viewer yeah i think so i think that's i think what events need to learn how to do is have talent and players working well together and talent that can bring out the best in players on a on a panel i've often felt i do like seeing players on panels but i've often felt that for a casual viewer or even an experienced viewer they're not necessarily the most watchable people um they often express their views and ideas in a way that's quite memey and in jokey that wouldn't necessarily be understandable to someone who is not in their circle which I can be, which I can find annoying, um, and I, I think what makes them good on a panel is someone like Tsunami or someone like Gods who can ask the right questions of them yes. and make them well understood on a panel. And at the moment, they're often brought into panels, and it's quite clashy because they have these people who are classic broadcasters and classic analysts, and then someone who's kind of alongside them, and they haven't quite worked out how a player and a traditional broadcaster should interface in a panel necessarily. If that, if that makes any sense, and that it should be not that they're an analyst in the traditional sense, but that they are a subject there to be interviewed and everyone there has to kind of work around them as a focal point of the panel. And I think there's room to have talent who can work in that space, which is a space I'd love to work in on, on panels as someone who can bring out the best in the player and make sure they don't slip into Injoki and Mimi and... Um, unimpenetrable speak. I think there's room to grow on there. I think Tsunami is a really good example of someone who will grow in prominence as more professional players enter the scene. A lot of people see Tsunami and go, he's an analyst who's not a very good player. He's going to die when the PPDs and the Samales and the No-Tails of the world retire. But I think he's going to grow in prominence because they will need someone who can translate what those people are saying um, and make it accessible for a mainstream audience and that's the world that i'd like to slot into eventually right that's interesting and i think to the to make it broader to the initial point you made about the benefits of hiring like a renessa for example to do the interviews and stuff and i think is that i think skills in the scene is very necessary right if you have the interview skills although um 
as the Oreo capitalists are very good at what they do. And I think actually capitalists is probably a good guy to interview. <laughs> I'm a big fan of him too. <laughs> I think having a guy who, who spends his time just interviewing, like you, you run the Joint Dota podcast, you interview people day in, day out. You know how to get what you need out of people. But I think like uh, some of your guests on, on your podcast have mentioned before, it's, it's kind of a shitty situation where now it's that tournaments are trying to scale back. They're trying to make... Um, trying to get less people that's why capitalist works every event I think is that you can mm. work so many different jobs you can have guys where you can have a smaller team because you know these guys can do all these things but I do think also and I don't I don't advocate for this I think having new talent like a Dan for example is not going to work for the same price that an OD Pixel is going to work for so it could it could it could be a thing that could happen but also I don't know I mean I, I think, think but I think that. also like there's this I think we, we look at it, and I think this is across all esports really in the sense that we don't look at how we can kind of grow talent. Um, I, I think, uh, and I look, obviously I come from a League of Legends uh, sort of background, but I mean, back before sort of Riot sort of controlled everything and sort of sort of um, centralized everything, there were so many different tournaments that you could kind of start up. You could start up tournaments like within your, like your neighborhood, for example, and then you could actually do castings there sort of create your, your, your reel there. Um, obviously, in terms of interviews, it's a lot harder because you can't obviously just interview, you can't interview your friend, you want to interview actual like significant people in the scene but I think there's, it's very hard to actually break into the scene one because it's already such a clicky place in general and I think that's just in gaming culture it's how it is but I think there's not really that avenue for, for, for talent in any regard whether it's from interviewing to casting to hosting to analyzing to really find a space to showcase themselves or build uh, a track record or you know that or that those accolades um, and I think one of the local organizations we have VS Gaming tried to do that with like this academy thing um, I mean they ended up watching it up unfortunately but I think the intention there was really good about creating a space that is all about nurturing and growing local or growing talent in general and then sort of help, helping people earn their way into finding that spot or get, giving, getting given that chance to then try to do something on a bigger stage yeah definitely it's, it's hard to build that stuff but it is important um i guess where i am at is i'm like a lot of talent in kind of a waiting room where i'm just waiting to be given a chance and waiting to break into that circle um and there isn't really a ladder to go yeah. up there you're either doing big events or you're not uh, and there's no <laughs> stepping like when i was doing comedy it was all steps you were doing open mics and you were doing open spots and then you were doing paid gigs and I was kind of in the open spot paid gig area um, and I, I knew what I was doing and I knew where I was going upwards but in in Dota and I'm not frustrated by it because I, I enjoy what I'm doing at the moment and I, I, I think I will be giving that tr shot eventually but we'll see what happens um, but it definitely feels like I'm just waiting around to be given a big break, which is a bit of a weird thing for broad people think about big breaks and proper broadcasting, but it doesn't really happen. You work your way up. Yeah. Whereas I think, especially starting in Dota, there is just a point. If you're not a caster doing um, qualifiers, which is where the build up is, you're just waiting to be given a shot at an event. Um, so either I need to rethink my entrance plan into events and start doing more varied things or I just need to wait and eventually I'll be given a shot. And I think that is frustrating for a lot of people. Like Ronessa waited for years to be given a shot at Epicenter and hopefully stuff will start happening for her soon. Um, but she was so obviously talented years ago that she should have been given that slot that she was given Epicenter a long time before she was. So I think there is definitely more room for a ladder for more varied type of talent. So that's like a multifaceted thing, right? Because... Talent in general, and this is 
amplified in esports where or, or the second part is more about esports is that it's quite a uh, quite a clicky thing right it's about who you know can people trust you you have to have that rapport not just with the community but with your employers as well you're always at the bid of somebody else that's just the reality of being talent because you have to get mm-hmm. hired to work but as you said in esports the issue is that or you said Dota specifically, but I'm going to branch it out to the rest of fucking esports, is that there's no room for mediocrity. You're either tier one and working, or you're a fucking nobody, right? And that's that's like, or not a nobody, but you can't put bread on the table to, in a matter of speak. So it's just it's just rough. It's really rough there. And I think, like you say, on the talent point of view, like as a, as a tier two caster, it's like, okay, let me just grind qualifiers, grind qualifiers, maybe there'll be a Reddit thread about me. That's sort of the way that goes through. And I think... It does create really good talent because it's sort of that sink or swim environment. The likes of the Moxies coming up. I think OD Pixel came up that way as well. But for like the more niche things like interviewers and stuff, the not right in your face things, it's it's actually quite difficult now that you mention it. Yeah, I don't know if it's... I mean, I've been going for a year and it would be churlish of me to think that I should have had a shot by now. I think that'd yeah. be ridiculous if I'd been given a shot by now. Um, but there's stuff happening for me in the background uh, that will come out eventually. But I think we'll see what happens over the next year and how I feel next year, in effect. But I think there can be room for people to step up. It, it just depends on what opportunities that there are that exist and um, and how you're very much at the whims of what to, tournament organisers want if you're not core talent, i.e. a caster, which can be difficult, but we'll see how things change. Yeah, and I know I'm backgrading the conversation a bit, but I think like in terms of of people who I think who really should have gotten a shot is D2 Bowie because if I look at his content in terms of like bringing that variety to broadcast, I think the way his YouTube videos work and the kind of content he can present is that you could have a guy like Purge's Weatherman segment at any fucking event. You just hire this this cool quirky Brazilian dude who knows a lot about the game and can break down these small little uh, silly things that fucking us Dota nerds love and. And it could be a thing that could happen in events, but just because he hasn't gotten... I'm not saying if this is the only reason I don't know because I'm not the guy's hiring, but just with him not getting that shot, it's like it's like he's just trying and trying and trying. He's tried a whole bunch of fucking things, but I think maybe one day I eventually just take a gamble and see what could happen because I think, I think it could work out. Hmm. I guess their problem is if they take a gamble, they only really get one shot at the event. So if they take a gamble at Bowie and he's a disaster, then maybe they lose a lot of ad revenue and then, then they lose their business. Um, that is fair. Which is true, maybe. I don't know I don't know Bowie very well. Um, he's someone I'm looking into having on the podcast at some point, but I don't know him personally or really his content that well. But I think it just... Uh, I think, who was it who said this to me? Um, Pyrian, in the most recent podcast, kind of said that people look at this the wrong way in that they think this person deserves to be there because they've been working this hard and they're this good at what they do. But really the question should be is how did they fit into the broadcast that they were admitted from and the people who didn't make TI or the people that don't make various majors and minors, you kind of have to go, well, where would have that tip organizer fitted them in into what they were planning into the, the, the spectrum of talent that they brought to the event. So I, I don't think you can take a rejection of not being hired for something or a sign that someone isn't being picked up as necessarily an indication of their abilities, just necessarily they don't fit, they're not the right person. Which is kind of, and I, I look back at what happened to me in comedy as being quite similar to that, that for some reason I wasn't right for what agents and what big competitions wanted. And I kind of have the same view 
in Dota that if I'm going to be a success in it, I just have to be philosophical about it and not worry that I'm not right for certain things and just focus on my own stuff and being good rather than obsessing over whether I am being hired for one particular thing or not for another. Yeah, that's a fair point. Glenn, what do you think about that? No, I mean, I, I think I think that's a really good point in terms of the idea of like, can you fit uh, in, a, in a broadcast? And I think, you know, coming from an eventing background, I think there's a lot of things that people don't see in events and behind the scenes decisions that are made. I think people kind of just see the forward facing thing. And obviously to a large degree, that is the magic of eventing that you just see what you want consumers to see. Um, but I think there are a lot of behind the scenes decisions that are made. Like, for example, does this person fit in what we're trying to build or not that most people won't really pay attention to unless they're in the scene. Uh, so that's actually a really good point that to, to make. Cause I also, I, I definitely do find myself being a person that goes, Oh, but this person's worked really hard. Like they deserve a shot. But again, to the point of one, it's a one shot thing, but because esports such a volatile scene, if they do one shot and it blows up, you know, that's something you can't really take back. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, yeah, I think the philosophical approach and Dan is definitely a good way to look at it. Um, I think, yeah, there's just a lot of, there's a lot of complications and complexities that come in within esports. And also esports is still such a young scene when you think about it. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously it's been around for like a long time, but in the greater scheme of things, this is still really young. Like we're still trying to figure out what we're trying to do. Um, and I can obviously imagine on the global stage and people actually putting together the entire productions together, people are still trying to figure out what do fans want? What do viewers actually care about? What gives the best ROI to brands? And I mean, we also can't forget this is also about making money and also appealing to brands. And those are also decisions that, you know, the average Reddit user won't really take into account when they're making their opinion known around sort of, you know, which talent gets put on or not. Yeah, that's a fair point. And it even gets extended in the sense that... Um... That like like Dan said, it's not about just working hard and getting opportunity. Because I think it's also again like you have that luck factor, and people got to understand that if if you get lucky at some point, it's great. It that doesn't mean that you haven't got hired yet. That you are not doing the right thing. Um, just maybe your chance hasn't come yet. I think um, Scant made a good point about this. That when when the whole that tier two casters were complaining about not getting hired, that um, even like Toby made the video and he's like, maybe you're not good enough, bro. Maybe you got to work harder. Or whatever. And Scant's like, it's not only has to do with work i can't i think that he, he was his, his point he was trying to make was that the grind is not also only the right thing it's not doesn't make it's us, us, us criticizing this doesn't make the grind the right way just the way it is now but doesn't mean that's the way it has to be death i think the toby video on that was really good and, and i'm not calling out any particular two tier two casters here although there are obviously people that i will be obliquely referring to but there are a lot of people who complain are not being hired and it's possible to work really hard and be really really good at casting in a technical sense and when it comes down to it just not be right for whatever reason and there's no real reason why you're not right and there's no real logical rhyme behind it but sometimes you're just not right for the scene for whatever reason um that's what happened to me in comedy in effect that i did very well at gigs I always was dependable and I could have made it as a pro if I'd worked really, really hard for a really, really long time. But ultimately I was never going to make it on TV and I was never going to get signed by a big agent because I wasn't right for some reasons that were possibly outside of my control and some reasons that possibly were within my control. And I I think when you're looking at yourself in a broadcasting career, you have to take that approach of maybe for some reason I won't get that big break because I'm just not right. And I need to understand how I can a, a even make myself right and change something about me, or b accept it and move on. Uh, and that will happen to most tier two casters and tier two talents along the line that they just need to, at some point, 
either change what they're doing to a large degree if they're not right and try and look at how they can shift into a broadcast better and do something differently or step away into a different role because they're not right for what they're doing um and it's just a sad reality of stuff that people do have to realize and that's something that maybe that'll be a conversation i'll have myself in a year down the line or maybe it won't be but i it's it's a hard world broadcasting and i don't think anyone should get into it lightheartedly as it were I mean, I really like the, the non-victim approach you take to it. Um, it's like almost quite, almost like quite pragmatic about it. It's just like, these are just, there are facts that you can, there are, there are facts you can change and facts you can't, you can't. And I just, I do like that approach that you kind of just something or just not right or you're not right for it and all you need to change or you just have to let go of it. And I think that's an approach more people should probably take with, within esports. Um, and I think maybe just life in general, just like some things you're just not right for. And it's not that you were not good enough or you didn't try hard enough. It's just, it is what it is. Um, obviously, it's easier said than done. Um, mm. It's not an easy pill to swallow. Um, I've definitely been in situations like that where I had to swallow that pill and I didn't like it at all. But um, yeah, I think, I think it's a good approach to have and I think it's something more people should, should do. Because I often see posts, and especially on, on Reddit, the subreddits, about people wanting to break into the scene. And they go, oh, but I've been doing, I've been doing this and I've been doing that and doing that. Like, what more must I do? Like, and they're almost like looking for the secret ingredient or like this like, secret trick that's going like, to catapult them from like, this no name to like, right at the top and it's just like it just it's that's not how life works and that's especially not how um esports works and you just have to learn to take sort of the approach down that you're talking about where if it's right for you it's right for you so you just keep working and eventually you'll get there and if it's not then it isn't and you have to either shift your game plan or decide to just move out entirely and do something else yeah, yeah it's it's not go ahead sorry no 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 Go. I was just going to say, I was going to say that I also really like that take of yours. I feel like it's so balanced and it also kind of fits the, like, the, the luck part of it as well because it's like, okay, even if I'm not getting hired now, it's because I'm doing it like this or maybe it's just, that's just not how the situation is. But for yourself, you can only do so much and you can work on certain things, right? You, some things are just out of your control and you have to accept that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not that some people will never ever be able to make it because they're wrong entirely. It's just that there are some things you just have to accept about the way that you are and will appear and that it's there's no fairness in it and there is luck in it there's huge amounts of luck but it's not like it's just luck or just work ethic or just these things it's a a big collection of different factors that determine whether someone's going to make it in a scene and you just have to understand those factors and accept them i suppose I mean, maybe a Grant Grant is a good example of this because, I mean, for he's been grinding the fucking NA Dota scene for years and years and years and he never got a chance to, to get an event or whatever, but he built such a big brand for himself and he was like fucking Mr. NA Dota analyst Grant, fucking monster drinking Grant, play-by-play Grant. And at some point, with the way the Dota 2 sort of broadcasting rules work where that anybody can stream the game if they fucking want to and Grant having 10, 15,000 viewers while a major's going on, maybe that was a big factor. It's like, you know what? Maybe Grant's a bit raunchy. Maybe Grant's like this, but fuck it. That's 15,000 more people at our event if we have him <laughs> on the fucking broadcast. He's a really good example. I, I like Grant uh, to uh, a lot. Um, I think he's funny and he's clever and he's good at what he does. Um, but I definitely, if... You took Grant back 15 years and he was a struggling caster. He'd be someone I said, maybe you just don't have it, mate. Maybe uh, something's wrong about you. Um, But he's kind of found that there is something right about him and that he fits really well for a particular niche. If Grant had just ground away doing qualifiers and trying to get into the scene that way, in the way of traditional caster, I don't think he would have got hired because he's not a better caster than OD Pixel. He's not a better analyst than uh, Fogged. He's 
he's Grant and he does what he does really well and he found his way into the scene by accepting the things that were wrong about him possibly I don't know if this is his process but he accepted the things that didn't work about Grant as a mainstream caster and built his own little world and then got in that way and I think a lot yeah. of people could really learn from his example no for sure and I think I think a lot of your caster guests and I those are the guys I tend to listen to on your podcast they were also they said a similar thing it's about finding your identity building your Having your own style, they, I think LD in his podcast said that it's like, okay, when you start off, you like, this guy's your hero. Toby's so good. Let me try to be like him. Or I try to copy Lumi with this kind of sort of thing. But at the end of the day, it's like, what do I bring? What do I bring to the table? How can I work on that? And it's about finding your identity. And I think that was also a really nice thing because it's also being patient with yourself. Like, I think a guy like Toby's as good as he is, but he's been casting for fucking since the beginning of time, you know? It's, it's a lot that goes into it. Yeah, a huge amount, yeah. So yeah, I think we've approached the end of this interview. I called it an interview, but I, initially it was an interview and then it became a discussion and Dan <laughs> has been great in all parts of it. Dan, where's the best place we can actually follow you, your podcast, and maybe some things you have down the line in the future? Uh, so my Twitter is where I announce everything. Um, so that is at uh, Daniel Offen, and that's spelled Daniel and an O-W-F-E-N. I have a Discord as well, which you should be able to find in any of my episode descriptions, which is where I kind of announce stuff ahead of time, like guests, people who are coming up. In terms of other content, it's really just going to come out in those two places. I am planning on releasing a lot of stuff in the next couple of months. So just stay tuned and see what's happening on there. Glenn, you'd like to say anything to our guest before before he departs? Not all Dota 2 people are bad, you know. Um... <laughs> No, Dan, it's actually, it's been, yeah, you've had really cool insights. Um, so yeah, thank you very much for um, taking the time to chat to us. That was really, really cool. Oh, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. And thank you to all the listeners for tuning in. This was Esports Central episode number 64. Um, you can catch us next week. Every Thursday, we're out there. And you can find us all on Twitter. Myself at, at KChickDay, GK at G underscore K-A-Y-Y, Nadia at ST Gutterlily. Prophecy at P-O-R-F-E-C-I Gaming. And of course, the publication, Esports Central. At Facebook at Esports Central ZA. On Twitter, Esports C-E-N-T-R-L. And of course, at the World Wide Web at EsportsCentral.co.za. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. And goodbye. Goodbye, goodbye. Bye.